Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today for a huge show. It is Thursday morning, the 20th of July. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the Resonate Broadcast Network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longridge, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. A very good morning to you. Ben Dobbin with you this morning and, and we're going to get through a lot this morning. Uh, we'll talk with Peter Bedell uh, as he previews round 25. He's got a real big take on whether or not uh, there is something very spectacular going to happen with the Broncos this year. We'll obviously talk as well um, around a great win for a local Queenslander, Nigel Brumpton from Mount Ascot Marino Stud. We'll catch up with him. We'll also talk with Dr Heidi Parks around four army worms. Another exotic pest has arrived here in Queensland and is causing mayhem. We'll look at the markets as well and much, much more. Cricket update, so much going on at the moment. Um, Australia, 8 for 2.99, day one at Stumps in the fourth Ashes Test match. The Women's Soccer World Cup takes place tonight. Gee whiz, I'm excited about this. I am so excited about what this brings and what this means to everybody uh, at the moment, um, and this is a huge thing tonight when Australia take on Ireland, uh, we will be all there waiting, and I can't wait to talk about this as well. It's a huge show, it's rural Queensland today, across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Let's get into it right now, and we're going to catch up with Nigel Brumpton uh, from the Mount Ascot Marino Stud in Mitchell. He's very well known, and I'll tell you what, he's cleaned up at the Australian Wool and Sheep Show just recently in Adelaide. This is Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dobbin. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Thursday morning, the 20th of July. Nigel Brumpton is from Mount Ascot Marino Stud Mitchell, very, very well known. And they made the 1,600-kilometre trip from Mitchell to Bendigo for the Australian Wool and Sheep Show. And they were declared the most successful exhibitor in the fine, medium wool category. This is dead set from Mitchell to the big stage. It's not the first time um, they have had success and they're very well known. Nigel, good morning and thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Dobbo. Thanks for um, yeah, giving me a call. Geez, you must have had a hit out afterwards, mate. Congratulations. What a, what a show. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal win. Yeah, no, it's great for Queensland and uh, South and Queensland. It's good to fly the Merino flag for Queensland and that's one reason we go down to, to Bendigo each year, the biggest um, sheep show in Australia. Well, it's probably the biggest, one of the biggest sheep shows in, in the world, I'd say. Um, the, the quality and the magnitude of um, Bendigo, you know, sheep come from each, each state of Australia, uh, the Northern Territory, and there's Tasmanian sheep, West Australian sheep, and all other states in between. And, um, yeah, it's a great roundup of, of Merinos and other breeds of sheep, but, um, yeah, it's a phenomenal show. Well, the... If you're not aware, you know, Mount Ascot Merino Stud produce free-growing sheep for the commercial producer. You sell them all across Australia, and the ultimate aim is to breed a dual-purpose Merino uh, to get lambs on the hook earlier, and I get that. But you took, yourself and your wife took 11 broad ribbons this this time round. You took nine sheep to the show, and the grand champion fine Merino, you and the champion medium wool Merino ram, I mean, that's bloody unbelievable. Um, I, I, I know, Nigel, when you go to these things, you, you want to compete and you use it as a bit of a benchmark, but no way in your wildest dreams do you expect to take that many ribbons home and, 
And no doubt um, you would have been just terribly proud to be declared the most successful exhibitor at the fine, marine, fine medium wool category. Yeah, as we said, it was sort of a bit overwhelming, actually. I've overdosed, yeah, didn't, didn't envisage we were um, being that successful down there. I know we'd won 11 broad ribbons, and um, they weren't all in the fine medium section either. And so, um, yeah, when, when they announced that, it was quite, yeah, you know, quite overwhelming. It was a start from Queensland there. Yeah. To win that in the um, against sheep from all over Australia, the most states are, are, do try to breed finer wool than we do in Queensland. But yeah, the sheep do mark run well, and we've got that soft handling wool which we've um, we've tried to breed for generations. My, my parents, before myself, always tried to breed um, wool that handled well and mark run well, and we're just trying to put it on a big robust frame so you can sell sell lower mark run wool, but on a big robust frame so you still got the the constitution and fertility and sheep that will get out and perform in Queensland and, and arid environments. That's the biggest thing that, you know, I'm learning from, you know, for, for many, many years we didn't have, and we've had the sheep, but we haven't had the recognition in Queensland on, and I say the Australian stage, I won't say the world stage, but, you know, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia have probably, and, and this is fair to say, have, have dominated the ribbons whenever they've gone to a sheep show. But more recently, geez, we've had some success, which speaks volumes not only genetically in Queensland are we breeding better sheep, we're, but we're starting to get the recognition, you know, as sheep come back into this market and, you know, and we get, you know, exclusion fences up and people are getting back into sheep, we're seeing some of these amazing results and we're starting to be stood up and counted for. That's correct, Dobbo, and it's, it's great um, you have a Queensland get some recognition because you know, there was comments down there, oh, we didn't realise sheep like this come out of Queensland. Well, you know, that, that's been an attitude all the time. Like Queensland's been left on the, on the back, back hook for a Why while. Why is that? Oh, Why is that? Just traditionally, we. I mean, I understand the broader scale and how big it is and, it, you know, cattle country, but... You know, yourself and Mitchell have been doing this forever, but you head west and, you know, you know every single home, you, you had a shearing shed, you look at Meandar and Surratt through there and up to Longreach. I know things are different now, but, you know, most properties always had a shearing shed. I, I don't understand why there's been this negativity for so long. One of the main things is... Um Queensland, we haven't got the nutrition in our grass that southern states have for sheep. Like we've got good cattle country up here, but Queensland, not the sheep state, but um, the yeah, southern um, yeah, studs have been fortunate to run their sheep on. They have clovers and medics and loosen and irrigation, and we're not fortunate to have that. And that's, those sheep do grow out big in those southern states, but we're breeding a different type of sheep now. We've, we're breeding a sheep that will get out and perform. It's got constitution, and you know. We'll put up our sheep against anyone in Australia for constitution and been able to get out and walk. And we're just breeding that type of sheep that can grow. And look, our medium or ram, he's still as big as any ram in the, in the shed down there. And it's the first time that we've been able to walk, walk a ram out onto the stage and be and and be as big as, or probably, you know, probably the biggest sheep that, that stood out there on the stage. And um, we had our ram and you and the pairs the other night. I know that they're the biggest and bulkiest pairs there. And it's just it's great for Queensland. Great what we're doing up here. And um, yeah, it makes us makes us proud to be a Queenslander. Yeah, and I mean genetically, the genetics are getting better. You guys are adapting more, mate. You're obviously, and we're talking with Nigel Brumpton, Mount Ascot Merino Stud Mitchell. Um, your long term goal is the dual purpose Merino. Can is it achievable long term? Can it happen? Can can there be? And I understand it, but can we get you know this 
a perfect perfect animal in the sense that it, it, it cuts great wool, you know, the micron is fine, but you can also hang them on the hook for eating quality. Yeah, definitely, definitely, Dobbo. It's um, it's proven that you certainly can. Um, yeah, and the more and more we put into genetics and AI and embryo transfer work, the the more um, the more we get to increase the body weight's increasing. Um, and basically, the, the um ability for them to born and get them on the hooks before they cut their their two teeth. So yeah, or sheep that are fast fast growing and. Like we, we you know, last year, all our weather lambs, we averaged 25 kilo for our weather lambs you know, over the whole draft, you know, hanging on the hooks in less than 12 months. And they, and then they'd, they'd cut a sort of three and a half kilo of wool before that. So, and there's not many breeds of sheep can stand up to those figures. So, make some Reno U, you know, one of the most profitable uh, sheep breeds you know, that this country runs. Yeah. And that's a really. Can can you see more coming back in? I understand we've got good cattle country. I, I, I get that. But these kind of results, and you go to the Australian Bull and Sheep Show and you have the success yourself and Rosemary and your brand and, and, and your sheep are on show, you would think that more people see that and go, you know what, from a cost of production, we've seen the, the cattle job not tip over, but it, it sort of like certainly come back two-thirds. More people are looking to diversify. Are you seeing more interest in, in getting more inquiry about people wanting to get back into sheep? Yeah, well, certainly since the drought broke in Queensland, I know a lot of it's getting very dry again, but there's been a lot of interest in sheep. But um, one of the biggest trouble that the, the, the merino industry is facing is um, the staff shortages and shearing, and that's probably holding people back, unfortunately. But... Um, but, you know, the profitability of Reno, people sit down and do their figures. Um, yeah, they're just leaving most other breeds for dead. But you just got to uh, try to have the workforce. And, and labour is our biggest issue, and without a doubt. Stop running cheap. Now people are excluded fenced and got dogs under control. If we can only get a good labour force in Queensland happening, um, I certainly think there'll be a lot more people back into Merino sheep. And that Western areas and up around Longreach and, you know, sort of Mark on you know, north there. Yeah, a lot of people have gone back in there since they got the fences up, which is great to see. Yeah, that is great. Hey, Nigel, congratulations, mate. Um, what a win. Um, yourself and Rosemary, and people should be very proud. Um, you can go there and, and, and have a look on Facebook. Mount Ascot, Jolly Jumbuck, Wool and Sheep Show Success. It was more than that, 11 broad ribbons and also um, the most successful exhibitor in the fine medium wool category um, and the grand champion fine medium U and champion medium wool merino ram. Uh, they were full brother and sister and born via embryo transfer. What a great story. Uh, Nigel Brumpton, Mount Ascot Merino Stud Mitchell. Thanks for giving me some time, mate. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dubbo. Thank good, you. Good on you, mate. We're going to take a break, come back, rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, Heidi Parks, Dr. Heidi Parks, uh, Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries Senior Scientist, um, joins us this morning and she's leading the project on a fall armyworm. Now, we've heard of armyworms before and obviously we've heard of all these exotic pests that come into, but the fall armyworm, and not to be an alarmist, is now in Queensland. The caterpillar eats more than 350 different type of plants, including corn, maize, sorghum, sugarcane, vegetable and fruit crops. And we know if they go through a crop, they can destroy it overnight. We've seen it happen before. Uh, good morning, Doctor. How are you? Thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Um, uh, there is 
I suppose, a lot of worry around this. Can you just give us, to start off with, give us some description on what a full army worm actually is? Yeah, that's right. Good morning, Ben, and uh, and thanks for uh, your interest in, in this project. Uh, yes, yeah, so fall armyworm is a species of armyworm that first arrived into Queensland uh, in early 2020, so it has been here for a few years now. Um, it originated in the tropical and sub- subtropical regions of the Americas and has fairly quickly spread throughout the world and um, and arrived here in 2020, uh, arrived in the, in the north of Queensland and then very quickly spread to all states of Australia, uh, with the exception of South Australia. Uh, so it has, as you said, it does have a wide host range, um, although it does appear to prefer grasses. And, and in Australia to date, we've had uh, significant damage um, and sort of yield impacts in sweet corn, maize and sorghum. Uh, but more limited uh, sort of impacts and damage in other crops like capsicum and uh, and eggplants. So while it does have a very wide host range, the uh, the impacts uh, to date in Australia have been primarily limited to to sweet corn, maize, and sorghum industries. Where where did they originate from? History shows that we've always had exotic pests come into this country. How how did fall armyworms originate? So they originated in the tropical and subtropical regions of America, of the Americas, and they have spread very quickly throughout the world. Um, they do fly long distances, um, and and so uh, yeah, spread uh, through throughout the the world and throughout Australia uh, uh, through flight primarily. Detected now in every single state and territory. Your first detection was in the Torres Strait in 2020, except in South Australia. What, what, why are they discriminating against them or? Is it, just a, is it just a matter of time? It, it seems likely that it is just a matter of time. So they do prefer warmer regions um, and it is expected that they're most likely to, to survive throughout the year um, in the, the, tru- the, the tropical and subtropical regions of Australia. So therefore the, the pest pressure, the population levels uh, to date have been much higher uh, for example, in Queensland, but it has been, we have found it, um, it has been found in Victoria and, um, and Tasmania, so some of the cooler areas of the country. Uh, we, it's unknown as to whether it actually survives through the winter there, um, but um, certainly it has been identified there through the, through the warmer months. So it does appear it would just be a matter of time before it is also found um, in South Australia, uh, but I guess, yeah, time, time will tell. So as of yesterday, there's now a nationally coordinated program to control this pest. Um, The $2.1 million initiative that will be led by the Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries, and it's going to be delivered in partnership with Hort Innovation, which is great. So how does this work? How do you get management works? And look, the other army worm, which I know when they just go and destroy grass, you know, it can ruin, ruin things. But... Can we get this under control? Um, I know they fly around, but can, from these initiatives, we get some sort of management plan that gets them completely under control? Yeah, so this project, as you said, it's funded through Hort Innovation, um, and we're partner, partnering very closely with, with industry, particularly the vegetable industry in this project, and also working with Agriculture Victoria. Uh, and what we're aiming for is, a, a um, sustainable management of fall armyworm at an area-wide scale. 
Uh, so we're looking at establishing a, a framework to, to accelerate the generation of knowledge and tools to be able to sustainably management, uh, to be able to sustainably manage full armyworm at an area-wide scale, and to then be able to diffuse and use those that knowledge and tools throughout the agricultural industries nationally. So the way that we're looking at doing this through this project is to focus on three regions. We're looking at the Bowen Burdekin region, the Lockyer Valley region, and the East Gippsland region in Victoria, and we're going to be working very closely establishing fall armyworm industry learning groups in each of those regions. Uh, and those groups will include growers, agronomists, researchers, as well as our VegNet uh, National Vegetable uh, Industry Extension Network. Um, and we'll be working together to identify what the key research questions are. So what do we need? What are the tools? What's the, the knowledge, the understanding we need to be able to address, to be able to manage this fall armyworm pest at an area-wide management level. So not just looking at being able to manage it on any particular individual farm, but being able to manage the population, reduce the population levels and impact at an area-wide scale. So looking across a region, um, across uh, different cropping systems, how do we manage that pest so we, we limit the, the damage um, and the impact of that pest across, across an entire area. So it's really about bringing that knowledge that industries, growers, agronomists have already developed over the last few years. So they have been on the ground attempting to manage this pest already since, um, since it arrived in 2020, particularly up in Queensland. So there's knowledge that has already developed there. So bringing that together with the, the research that has already been underway um, across Australia, but also internationally, bringing that knowledge together and really working together, I guess, to identify, okay, well, what, what do we know? What don't we know? What do we need? Um, and how do we actually go about um, sort of doing the research, doing the, the trials, the work that we need to be able to understand how we can manage this pest better? Uh, so I guess, you know, for example, um, at the moment, the, the, the tools that we have in the toolbox to be able to manage fall armyworm are limited. So there's quite high reliance on um, a small number of chemicals and pesticides to be able to manage this pest. There's obviously uh, potential issues with the development of um, insecticide resistance, so we really want to guard against that. Uh, so it's really about looking at, well, what are the, the biological options that we have, um, you know, the predators, parasitoids, pathogens, um, how can we uh, develop a better system for managing, an integrated system for managing this pest? Um, to, to protect against um, insecticide resistance um, and, I, and ensure that we're really limiting the, um, the impact on our crops uh, long term. So as I said, it's really about finding those sustainable management um, systems for fall armyworm uh, into the longer term. Well, I just hope that we can get there somewhere. I appreciate you giving me some time. Um, and if anybody sees anything or signs include egg mass or damage to plant leaves or fruit and vegetables, you can always call the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries on 132523. Um, and you can go and search them, uh, full armyworms in Australia. There, there is a lot going on at the moment. Um, I really appreciate you making and giving me some time. Dr Heidi Parks from the Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries, the senior scientist, thank you so much and hopefully we can get this under control. Fantastic. Thanks for your time, Ben. Good on you. We'll take a break. Rural Queensland today. 
Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Let's talk about uh, the cattle markets that took place in Queensland yesterday. 4,132 head yarded at Dolby, and it was reduced yarding uh, of 858 head. Now, the MLA are reporting all regular export buyers were in attendance and operating, plus some southern buyers from the previous weeks that had returned. The market was active a good way to say it. The usual feed and trade plus restockers buyers were also present. Apart from lightweight yielding heifers struggling to maintain the firm trend that has been everywhere this week, all other classes improved. Uh, yielding steers to restockers and to feed averaged five to eight better. Yielding heifers to feed were noticeably dear and lifted by around eight cents to t- up to 20 cents and cows sold to a dearer market averaging four to eight better. Lightweight yielding steers returning to the paddock made 405 cents with a large sample of them and quality calves, talking to people yesterday, making 3.51 cents per kilo. Poor quality lines averaged 2.73. Yielding steers to feed for the domestic job averaged 3.48 to 3.51 with sales to 3.72. Heavyweight yielding steers to feed averaged 3.36 per kilo and with an outstanding pen making 3.74. Lightweight yielding heifers returning to the paddock averaged 238 and sold to 282. Yielding heifers to feed averaged 283 to 315, and that sale has improved. And they topped at 336, so that's a real big jump in that market. Heavyweight yielding heifers to feed were also in demand and averaged 290 cents per kilo to average 318. Heavy growing bullocks uh, were in demand and the processors chased them. 294 cents per kilo to average 287. So 294 atop. A good sample of full mouth bullocks made 256. A medium weight score two cows making $1.77. But heavyweight score three cows averaged 205 to make 211. Good heavyweight cows topped at 225 to make 217. Heavy bullocks to 227. Trevor Hess as usual reporting on that market. Gracemere rolled around yesterday as well, and they had 2,755 heads, so a big yarding at the CQLX Gracemere Sayards. Vendors again um, were chasing them. Uh, cattle came from local areas and some large lines from Nebo and Moorumbah districts. Uh, also, vendors from north as far as Bowen and as south as Jinjin, so big yardings of cattle. A lot of Brahmin content in those cattle, obviously, at this present time of the year. Processors and feeders were all operating, and there were several more restockers who came in and had a crack. Lightweight yielding steers sold to 375 to average 285 to 323 to restockers, while medium weight pens averaged 285 to average 312. Mostly to restockers and feeders with a few to live export. Lightweight yielding heifers averaged 211 to average 221. And the veal trade, they went from 220 to 271. Medium weight pens sold to 245 to 276. Growing steers to live export and to feed averaged 267 to 305. With growing heifers selling to feed and backgrounding 234 to 261. Not a lot of cows there, but light condition restocker cows, so a store cow. Well, they made a, a, between a buck fifty and a dollar eighty-five per kilo. Score four heavy cows, slightly better, two thirteen, selling to a top of two seventeen. Heavy bulls to processors and live export, average two forty-six to two forty-eight. There was a small, small yarding of quality 
playing quality cows and calves, they made $1,500. And so uh, they averaged $1,500. That's grace me, 2755 Let's head to Charters Towers. Like So obviously there are a lot of cattle on offer yesterday, 2,910 head, and that yarding lifted by 640. So there's some cattle starting to move. And Gracemere, uh, these are being reported from MLA and uh, Mick Kingham. Uh, obviously a big yarding quality mix throughout, um, despite the fact the number's lifted by 640 head. Many cattle showing the effect of season. Some good lines of growing steers and odd pens of prime cows were on offer, but the yarding in the prime section was much plainer. A large consignment of northern wieners dominated the store section. Most of the regular processors were there, uh, operating at reduced rates. So cattle were drawn from the northern areas and from south of Beliando. Good quality steers and heifers eased 10 to 20 at Charters Towers yesterday, with secondary lines easing up to 60 cents. Prime cows averaged 6 to 14 lower, so they tried to jerk the job yesterday at Charters Towers, but the yarding was... Obviously irrelevant. You can't gauge that. Most of them are pretty happy. Light steers returning to the paddock averaged 282 for a top of 316. Young heifers above 200 kilos returning to the paddock sold to 236 to average 216. And a good line of lightweight yielding steers topped to 322 to average 309. Yielding steers above 330 kilos to feed reached 256 to average 252. And yielding heifers above 280 kilos to feed sold 230 to average 214. Growing steers over 400 kilos to feed, average 218, selling to 233. And steers suitable to trade sold to 236. Steers to live export sold to 214 to 280 kilos. And growing heifers to trade reached 233 to average 222. Now, there was an increased number of score two light cows. Um, processors sold dollar eighty to a dollar sixty two. Score threes one ninety two to average one seventy nine. A prime weight heavy cows topped to two oh four to average one hundred ninety six. Heavy bulls went to live export two sixty to average two eighty four and bulls processed average two twenty six. Mick Kingham reported that. Big yarding, wasn't it? Big, big yarding out of there as well with Charters Towers. So uh, obviously there there is a lot of cattle moving at the moment. Things are obviously uh, starting to starting to obviously uh, dry out in places and cattle are starting to come forward. And when you have yardings like that, almost 10,000 head between three sales yesterday in Queensland, uh, the plus the cattle that are starting to dominate and come out of the woodwork direct to works, there is going to be some easing. Opportunities are plenty at the moment with the store job. And as we said, that heifer job, you've just got to be selective, but there's a real market at the moment to try and be able to do something and so it's not all doom and gloom. Walk when others walk when others are running, and the old saying, run when others are walking. And now has never been more like that time. We're going to take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland Today. You're with Ben Dobbin. It's the 20th of July on Rural Queensland Today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, let's talk some rugby league, and it is starting to heat up in the kitchen. Uh, round 21, and the Broncos have their real big test in a long time. I know they haven't got Tom Flegler and Jordan Rickey, but Reese Walsh comes back into a side with Pat Carrigan and Payne Haas. But they face an opposition that is stacked. South Sydney, one of the heavyweight premiership heavyweights, um, have really ramped up. Latrell's back, Cameron Murray, P. 
Peter Bedell is the chief league writer for the Courier Mail. You read his articles every single day. He's a regular on this show as well. Bomber, good morning, and thank you so much for being with us. No worries, Dobbo. Yeah, uh, this is a big test for Brisbane. The starting point. I mean, they're 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 a top eight side. We we know that. On thirteen wins, and they've still got to buy in place. They are guaranteed a spot in the eight. But it's more now. Where do they sit, and have they really knocked off someone of real ilk in the last couple of months? Their form, in a lot of ways, has been patchy. But I'd go back to say I thought last week could have been arguably their most important win for the simple reason they had six out at Belmore. We know how hostile that ground is, and it was a pretty significant day for the Dogs. So they had everything to play for, and they weathered the storm and a bit of brilliance from Adam Reynolds, and they ended up getting away with it. That, those kind of wins, and like they win with the Warriors in New Zealand, they bode well, but the real test is the Sunshine Coast Stadium now in South Sydney. Absolutely, Dubbo. The description earlier you made about the the kitchen, that the temperature is rising. And last year, that the Broncos got burnt in the furnace, Dobbo, and went out the back door with five losses, as you remember, from their last six games. But I sense, Dobbo, that this is a different Broncos team. I really do. I think they're mentally tougher. I think they're physically sharper. And I think they have heeded lessons from last year's capitulation. And I, and I think, Dobbo, some of the injuries they've had and even the suspension of Reese Walsh, who returns on Friday night, I think it's made the Broncos a bit fresher. I think they're getting their troops back fresher after a few weeks off. And I honestly think that the last six or seven weeks moving forward now, Dobbo, we'll, we'll see a better Broncos team than we saw last year. And they'll make the finals this year for the first time since 2019, which is a great kick for Kevin Walters. But I believe this team is capable of more, Dobbo. I think they're a top-four side and they need to prove it starting into the Rabbitohs on Friday night. Yeah, they certainly do. There are a lot of people who said they can win the comp. One thing to win the comp, but to make the grand final, you need a home semi and then you need a home prelim. We know that, you know, like it goes, it's very difficult if not. And history will show that teams outside the top four uh, have struggled. You know, I know Parramatta went a late run, but no one's really won from out there. Different competition this year. There's no two ways about it. It's a lot tighter. But we now know, and I'm being genuinely serious here, there's only nine teams that can make the eight. The rest of them can start preparing for next year. So somebody's going to drop out, be it Parramatta, be it South, be it Cronulla. Some team is, you know, under pressure. It could be the Cowboys. We're not quite sure, but... I'll get to them in a minute, but Brisbane can really solidify their place. And if they do make the top four, well, then it's a completely different ball game. Yeah, absolutely, Dom. I said a couple of months ago, I thought they were a prelim team. I think they make week three finals this year. And from there, Dobbo, as you know, you're only two wins away from the, from the title. So can Brisbane win the comp? I, I think they're as good a chance as anybody, Dobbo. I mean, to me, I still think Penrith, have a standout. I mean, for them to be top of the comp with Brisbane at the moment with, with Nathan Cleary sideline for the past six weeks is remarkable. So I still think Penrith are the team to beat. They should probably do a hat-trick of titles. But if if you take Penrith and maybe they have an off day, if you take them out of the equation, I think Brisbane are the next cab off the rank. And I, I think if Brisbane stay fit, they've got the roster, they've got the halves, they've got the toughness, they've got the, the skill across the board. And even the forward depth now off the bench, their middle rotation for me is as good as anybody's in the comp. I think Brisbane can go all the way. So 
I um I, I agree with you, Pete. But there's some smokies there. South Sydney, you know, they haven't had their full array of troops. Are they a patch on their side last year? They, they look when they've got everybody there, the names, far better. But they just haven't been able to click at the moment. Yeah, they're an intriguing one, aren't they, Dobbo? Look, I, I don't know what to make of South. I mean, I thought earlier this year they were probably the team to beat to win the comp. But then they've, all of a sudden, Dobbo, if they drop this game on Friday night against the Broncos, they can they can miss the top eight, which is remarkable to think. But, of course, the Cavalry's returning, isn't it, for the Red and Greens? I mean, Latrell Mitchell leads the Cavalry. Damien Cook, they're all coming back. And when, look, if Cody Walker and Latrell are on fire, Dobbo, they, they can go deep, deep into September. So oh, I think we'll see the real South potentially on Friday night against the Broncos. And if they put the cleaners through Brisbane, then they're certain he's to make some noise in September. But at the moment, they're a little bit wobbly and they need a, they need a big scalp south. It could be this week. I want to take you back to Saturday, the 20th of May. The Cowboys went to Leichhardt Oval and were beaten 66 points to 18. 66 points to 18. Well, that has triggered something within. And they have since, and it has been... You know, they got beaten by Parramatta the following week, but they then went and put 45 on the Melbourne Storm. They beat Penrith. They've beaten the Rabbitohs. They absolutely smacked the rest Tigers. And they beat Manly last weekend. This game against Parramatta at Queensland Country Bank Stadium on Saturday night um, for the Cowboys, I mean, this is Southern Death semi-final football. They have turned their season around. Their football, and they are dangerous. And people listening to us who are Cowboys supporters should be excited. I don't know where this was at the beginning of the year. You can only put it down to World Cup, injuries, blah, blah, blah. But Scott Drinkwater's taken him to a whole another level. Um, I, I just don't know where they're at. I mean, they have to beat Parramatta. That's a starting point. And if they do, Parramatta could be gone. Absolutely, Dobbo. I'll, I'll be honest, Dobbo. I think, I think they can make history, the Cowboys, and be the first team to come from the bottom part of the top eight to win the premiership. It's never happened in the NRL's 25-year history since 1998. I think if the Cowboys finish sixth or seventh, because they did leave their, their run late, I, I think they have the, the artillery, Dobbo, to win the comp. I mean, I, I couldn't believe what happened to them at the start of the year. It was a real shock to the system for me. I, I thought this team was grand final material this year. And then all of a sudden, they just lost the plot. And, and they were, I think, second last at one point, which is unbelievable. But their form in the last five weeks, Dobbo, they are just ripping teams apart. And as you said, Dobbo, with Scott Drinkwater, he's just, he's the he's the trigger for all this. I mean, his, his form at the back is electric. And you put him in combination with Tom Deedon, Chad Townsend, who's steering the ship nicely. And then, of course, on the edges, someone as brilliant as Jeremiah and I. Oh, I think the Cowboys have every reason to think they can be in the grand final this year. Yeah, and, and rightly so. They've got a big run home. They've still got a, a long way to go. And they've got some, you know... What I'll say is they've got the Titans, the Dolphins and the Broncos. Now, all those are Queensland teams and, and the, the rivalry in those games are always extensive. So you, you throw the form book out in a lot of those games, throw in the Sharks that are desperate, Penrith, they've got a wretched run home. So they need to obviously get winning and get winning heavy. And it's this weekend it starts with Parramatta. Dolphins, give them a scorecard. They're not going to make the eight. Um, you said something to me the other day which, I, which did resonate that you believe the fact that they were in contention in round 20 was pretty special? 
Oh, look, Dobbo, I give them an A. I mean, what they've done this year, you know, it would have been A-plus if they made the finals. But look, for them to be in finals contention, Dobbo, with six weeks to go for a new franchise has been simply extraordinary. They, and even if they missed the eight, Dobbo, I mean, they took Penrith to the wire last week. They could have easily won that game. So their constitution as a side, their, their resilience, their toughness, they haven't had too many floggings this year. And when you compare some of the new franchises in the AFL, who were an absolute basket case for years on end before finally getting, you know, five, six seasons to, to get it right. But the Dolphins have hit the ground running. It's a tribute to Wayne Bennett and his mastery as a coach and the type of tough players he's recruited. And look, they'll, they'll probably feel the pinch over the next six weeks, but overall across the season, they should be commended. They've been a real joy for the competition and what an addition they've been. So well done, Dolphins. Yeah, thank you, Peter. It all starts Brisbane taking on South. I hope you ride with these selections. It's going to be very interesting. Appreciate your time this morning. No worries, Dobbo, any time. Good on you, Peter Bedell, Chief League Writer for the Courier Mail. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today on Thursday morning, the 20th of July. I hope you've had a great day and enjoyed the show immensely. I certainly have. Ray Hadley joins you next. And then, obviously, we'll be back tomorrow morning from 9 a.m. Enjoy your Thursday. Remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock from Ben Dobbin and everyone he's involved in rural Queensland today. Stay safe on the roads. Until next time, it's bye for now.